Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. At the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned for seven years in Hebron and for 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David his father and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David my father, although I was but a little child. I do not know how to go out and to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. O oh, send out thy light and thy truth, that they may lead me and bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. Lord, show us what it is we need and give us the courage to ask of it. Pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Welcome again to St. Bartholomew's. It's a special night. We're almost done with our series on becoming a people. We've looked at the life of the monarchy in the people of Israel, beginning with the call of Samuel, the, the, with Saul's anointing, Saul messed up, with David, David's family had some issues, if you will. And now we come to 1 Kings and Solomon. In, in cinematic ways, the writer of 1 Kings tells us what happens to David. David sleeps with his fathers. He dies. But remember what we're looking at. We've been looking at all summer long. We're looking at the story of Israel so that we can understand and discern and take some insight, perhaps, maybe some wisdom, of as we become a people, as we're established as St. Bartholomew's, what it is we can learn from the life of the people of Israel. I love Israel because they messed up a lot. 
And it makes me feel like I'm in good company when I mess up. And, but God always brings them back. God always sends someone. And we see that perfectly in our Lord Jesus Christ. God sending Jesus to the nation of Israel initially, to the lost sheep of Israel, but also to the entire world. So remember, as we look at David, Solomon tonight, and we think about the breadth of the story of Israel, we're also talking about the story of the church and really the story of creation, of how God made a people for himself and how that first king, remember we've talked about Adam as being that first king protecting the garden, being a priest, someone who was relating to God on behalf of the the population of the garden, but also a king guarding and protecting Eve and all that was around him. How that first king let in sin and rebellion in the person of the serpent. And we saw successive kings of Israel try, as they may, some do well, but some fail. And ultimately, we saw that no king could protect Israel, could protect God's people, except for Jesus Christ. And Chris taught us last week so eloquently, so memorably, memorably, easy for you to say, that Nathan, when confronting David about his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, Nathan said, the sword, David, shall not depart from your house. But Nathan had also promised a few chapters before that a son of your line will sit on the throne. So there are these two promises held in tension. And Chris unveiled to us that this mystery, that the sword shall not depart from your house and the son of your line will sit on the throne, come together perfectly in our Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, who took the ultimate sword for all of creation. And so tonight, the anointed son of the king, Solomon, is established as king. David sleeps with his fathers. He's buried in the city of David. Remember when he took over the city of David? It was uh, occupied by the Jebusites, a city called Jerusalem. And he and his mighty men crawled up the drainage ditch, the tunnel, I, would not, would have, I don't know what I would have done if I lived back in that day. I don't think I would have been a mighty man. I am embarrassed to say. They crawl up the drainage ditch, up the tunnel. They take over the city of the Jebusites. They rename it the city of David. David establishes his citadel. It's on the, the sides, the slopes of Mount Moriah. This place, this holy place where God had encountered his people. The place that would become what we call today the Temple Mount where his son Solomon would eventually build this temple. And the city expanded all around. And we have to imagine in those 40 years of David's reign, 33 over Jerusalem, that the city flourished. That despite the revolution that Absalom stirred up, despite all the other things when people would appoint themselves king in David's absence, despite that, the city must have flourished. Because we see this in 1 Kings chapter 3. It's not in your bulletin, but it's in a Bible. We see that, it, that Solomon brokers a marriage deal. With who? With Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Hey, hey, come on now, Israel. We used to be slaves in Egypt. Now think about this in a diplomatic, geopolitical kind of way. You go to the nation that used to enslave you and you broker a deal for marriage. Solomon, young as he was at the time of his ascendancy to the throne, must have felt that, wow, 
Israel is now a key player on the world stage. It's, it's clear when you look at his building projects, when you look at all the things that he did that was in his mind and in his heart. But for our sake now, Israel now is in a different place when they were 33 years ago, when David and his men took over Jerusalem. Israel's now, they've conquered all their enemies, all their neighbors. David has taken out vengeance on all these. And then he gives Solomon instructions with a little bit of a purge. After he dies, he tells them who to take care of. So Israel is a, is a people to be feared. And that's how we approach Israel tonight, as a nation that's now established. A nation that's been around for a while. A nation that, that knows how to go out and to come in to conduct its affairs, a nation that wants to play ball with the big boys, if you will. So David sleeps. They lay him, to, lay him to rest with his fathers in the city of David. And it's kind of a peaceful moment. But then we see Solomon, verse 3 of chapter 3. It's in your bulletin on page 3 if you want to follow along or in your Bible if you've got one or phone or any sort of other, I'm sure, internet-connected device. Siri, I feel like I'm being watched. Notice verse 3 in 1 Kings 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Stop there. Remember what it was that we, we've been looking at Robert Barron's commentary on 2 Samuel. Do you remember what he talked about? Orthodoxy brought about the right worship of God or the right praise of God. That brought about ordered living or right living. And finally, a, a reference to somebody who's ruling Israel to worshiping God. We saw early in David's life, it was about God and worship. You come out against the armies of Israel, I'm going to come at you with my slingshot in the name of God. Everything that David did was doxological, meaning it was, it was surrounded in praise and in worship. He went to great expense to bring the ark back from the place that it was resting back towards the city of Jerusalem. He spent great money. He appointed all these musicians he pointed all these people, dancers, singers, wrote songs for it. David's rule for many years was marked by doxology, by orthodoxy, this right praise. And then Bathsheba, Uriah, murder, adultery, etc. It all goes downhill. And then there's a noted absence of this orthodoxy, of this walking in the ways of the Lord and of worshiping him. But Samuel, excuse me, but Solomon comes back to it. Solomon Loved the Lord. I hope that that can be said of me one day and of you. That when someone would describe us in a certain stage of our life, that they would say, you know what? Marcia loved the Lord. No matter what she did, she loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Not only that, but he walked in the statutes of David, his father, he sacrificed, though, at the high places. But he went to Gibeon. That was the main high place because that's where the ark was. He went to Gibeon to sacrifice for there. And continuing in the second half of verse 4, Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now again, that's a lot of animals. That's a lot of blood. Have you ever field dressed an animal? Again, I wouldn't have been a mighty man. I probably couldn't have been a priest either. I was really into hunting until I discovered, oh, you're supposed to like cut it up 
and like cut its organs out and okay. <laughs> Solomon goes to great expense to worship the Lord his God. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him in a dream by night. So we were reminded of, of Samuel. Samuel, this miracle child from Elkanah and Hannah, whom they offer to Eli, the priest at Shiloh, to say, here's this miracle baby. We pray, Hannah prayed for him. He's here. We, we give them to the Lord. We consecrate him unto the Lord. And now as a young boy, he's in the place of God's presence, Samuel. And he hears God calling to him. He thinks it's Eli, Eli yada, yada, yada. You can go back and read it, 1 Samuel 3. But it's reminiscent of, of that moment. And so Solomon is at Gibeon. He's made a trip over to Gibeon, not far from Jerusalem, to sacrifice the thousand burnt offerings to the Lord. And he's in the place of worship, and revelation happens. That God speaks to him. I want you to think about that for a moment. When Solomon is in the place of God's presence, God speaks to him. What are you getting at, Jay? Do you mean we should come pray at the church more often? Not necessarily. The place of God's presence can be in a, a grove of oak trees or field dressing a deer. God has consecrated all of creation unto himself. It's more about a disposition, an inner disposition. That even when we're under attack, or even when we're confused, or even when we're saying, God, these logistics that you have so coordinated do not make sense to me. What's up? Even in that place, we can be in the place of God's presence. That's why before morning and evening prayer, for at least 500 plus years, Anglicans have said, Psalm 43, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth that they may lead me and bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy dwelling. When the psalmist wrote that, I'm sure he had that high place where the ark was in mind. But because of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his ascension, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he can be everywhere with us. Because of his real absence, he is truly present to us even now. And so when we pray, send out thy light and thy truth, wake me up, Lord. Invoke me to your presence because you're ob obviously here. We sang that earlier. Oh my gosh, I love that song, Be Welcome. You're here now. You're here with us. Emmanuel, you are enough. When Solomon is in that place, not just geographically, and not just logistically or sacrificially, but he's in that place of worship, God speaks. What does God say? Hey, ask whatever you want. It's like a genie in the lamp scenario. Then I ask for a thousand more asks. What did Solomon do? He asked for the intangible. How many of us need tangible things? I mean, we even read it in the psalm. Verse 5, he gives food to those who fear him. We need food. We need clothing. We need a house, place to live. We need water. 
But it's the intangible that will make us or break us. Solomon later in his life would be over, overwhelmed and overcome with the fullness of the things that he had. A little bit like his father. But in this early days, about, he's probably about 20 years old. No one can exactly agree. But in this early day of ascending to the throne, he asks for the intangible. But notice before he asks in verse 7 of 1 Kings 3, he acknowledges his need. The verses before that, he continues with that doxology. Lord, you are the God of, of covenant love, of steadfast love. You put my father on the throne. You're so good. Basically saying, there's nothing I really need. But, verse 7, and now, Lord my God, now that I think about it, that's my little insertion, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. He wasn't a child. He was about 20 years old, maybe a little bit younger. I do not know how to go out or come in. You can interpret that a couple of ways. I don't know how to make war, to go out and come in with war. But remember, Israel is established. His father David had brokered these sort of treaties with the, the Tyrenians and the Sidonians. He's got a marriage treaty with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. I mean, he's doing pretty well. So now he's into this sort of place of diplomacy. I don't know how to go out and come in, God. More to the point, I don't know how to do what you've called me to do. I don't know how to be who you've made me to be. He acknowledges his need. He has enough self-awareness. He has enough honesty. In verse 8, And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Notice the, the wisdom that Solomon asked for. It wasn't wisdom in business decisions or wisdom even in logistical decisions. I want to be a great administrator, O oh God. I want to be a charismatic leader, O oh God. I want to have the biggest whatever, whatever kind of business, whatever kind of ministry, whatever kind of thing, O oh God. Dominate the social media sector, O oh God. He says, I want to be able to discern between good and evil. Solomon took it out from the 30,000 foot level and he brought it down to where the rubber meets the road. I need to know what's good. And he didn't say what's bad. Did you notice that? Not what's good and what's bad. He needs to know what's good and what's evil. Because what's good is blessing and life-giving, is honoring the covenant, is God's presence, is worship, is orthodoxy, is right living. What's bad might be something that we've created, a category we've created. Oh, don't do that. That's bad. 
You shouldn't do that. Remember what we talked about the shoulds? Got a case of the shoulds. <laughs> I know. It's bad. Hard to get rid of it, but it induces guilt. Solomon said, I want to know that I want to discern between good and evil. I want to think like you, God. What Adam couldn't do in letting the serpent in the garden, I want to be able to do. For who can govern this people? This people is a great people. Why is this people a great people? Because it's your people, oh God. Solomon acknowledges his need. Solomon asks for the intangible. Now, quick pause. Think about St. Bartholomew's a few years from now. You know, we haven't quite climbed up the tunnel to Jerusalem to take over the city. You know, we're still trying to figure out, you know, where, where's our citadel going to be, God? So we're not at this place yet that Israel is. But think about when we do go to a point to where we're operating and we're established and we, we kind of have a say over our own future with where we meet and how we worship and the, the mission and ministry that we do. And we've sent some church planners out and we've, we've, we've seen God do amazing works. And God says, what is it that you ask of me, St. Bartholomew's? What will we say? You know, we just need like 500 more people, God. I mean, it's supposed to be funny because when you're in the church business or business, as some of us say, when you're in the church business, you can forget that, that very essence of what you're actually doing, how to discern between good and evil. And you can get lost in all these other things. We've, I've said it before in these sermons, butts and seats. Budgets, it's another way. See, I'm using alliteration for those of you who may have a hard time to remember these many pointed details. Think about that for a moment. What will we ask of God? Hmm. Solomon asks this of God to have discernment. And notice God's answer. It pleased the Lord, verse 10, that, the, that Solomon had asked for this. And God said to him, Because you've asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. That, that phrasing, that turn of phrase at the end of that sentence, it, it, it echoes the humble servant of the Lord God. When the angel Gabriel appears before Mary, this young girl, younger even than Solomon, young teenage girl, you're going to bear the son of the Most High. Let it be to me according to your word. The turn of phrase that God responds to Solomon in is, is almost like this sort of humble response that a faithful servant of the Lord would have. It's quite amazing, God's willingness to answer. We might even think of Jesus. When his disciples ask him to teach them to pray, he says, who among you, who fathers among you, if your child asks you for a piece of bread, are going to give him a stone? 
There's this overflow of love and goodness in God that invites us to ask, that invites us to abide in that disposition of the place of his presence. That's why Jesus taught the disciples that. That's why Jesus taught us that. That's how Solomon could say, you know, I've got everything I really need. You've promised your love to my father and his people, but now that I think about it, I have no idea to be who I'm made to be, to do what you've given me to do. I don't know what it really looks like, God. I'm inserting my phrase now to be fully human. Help me. Help me discern between good and evil. And it blesses God. God, it's, it's almost as if God is, is waiting on, with bated breath does it mean that God's dependent upon Solomon? I'm not putting God with this anthropomorphic image of he's a person like us, even though he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God is ready and willing to give Solomon. And remember, for those of us in Christ, in the church, who've received of him grace and truth, the resources of heaven are ours. What is it you need, Solomon? I need to discern and please the Lord. Because you've asked for this, I'll give you this. Because you didn't ask for something base, the life of your enemy, for riches. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Not only that, verse 13, I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Seek first the kingdom of God, said Jesus. I know you're thinking about your clothes. Do you see the lilies of the field? They're clothed more beautifully than Solomon. Not a sparrow falls to the ground, yet they don't labor and store in barns. But yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's knowledge. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else will be added to us. What will we ask for at St. Bartholomew's? Will we ask for the life of our enemies? Oh God, that one church. No. Because, I mean, you, you know this because we pray for other churches, but other churches are not our enemies. They are preaching the gospel of the Lord. We want to see them flourish. Will we ask for a $20 million endowment? And it's, it's fun to laugh about it now, but this is how we have to guard against ourselves. Then, then we can finally get the organ, Nelson. <laughs> Sorry. Nelson and I have an inside joke about organs. It's funny. Maybe you all could be part of it one day. 
But in answer to that question, we can answer these questions. Will we abide in orthodoxy? Will we love God? You know what? I mean, I, I love us. I, lo- I love you. I mean, I love you guys. Y'all are amazing. Amy and I pinch ourselves. And we think, how does this are the church that we go to, the church that we get to serve? I, lo- I mean, I love this guy, St. Bartholomew, who's an actual person. Not, I mean, you know, this is a drawing, but he's an actual person in heaven, an actual saint. I love our logo and our website, and I love all the stuff that we're doing, and I love that we're going to pray for teachers and students tonight, and that we celebrate Holy Communion every week, and I love all of that stuff. But will we abide in that right worship of God? And will we continue to be a place of God's presence? Not only as individuals, but as a community, as this church. And when we're in need, as a community and as individuals, will we acknowledge our need? God, it's just come to my attention that I really need you in this or that. And I could tell other people and hope that somehow it happens But what if I asked only you? What if like Solomon, I got down to where the rubber meets the road and I asked you for what I really need? So that's what we're going to do right now. Take a minute, bow your head. Why don't we stand actually? Let's stand. Just remain in a posture of prayer. And if the kids come in, don't worry, they'll, they'll find their place. Remain in a posture of prayer. And if you want to close your eyes, you may, or gaze at the cross or the stained glass window. When you think about Solomon asking for the intangible, I want you to ask this question in your mind's eye, and then we're going to wait for the Holy Spirit just to tell you what you really need. But ask God, What is it, it, God, that I need from you? Maybe there's a phrase that's popped into your head or a picture or a situation. Just meditate on that for a moment. Lord, teach us what is the intangible thing or resource we need from you. Holy Spirit, come. Now, ask the Lord for that. Be bold. He's not begrudging. He's not frustrated. He delights to give gifts, good gifts to his children.
We beg of you, O God, to continue to make our own needs known to us so that we will know what to ask. Thank you that you are here now, here with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Show us your glory. Hmm. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.